First Right Podcast, a weekly conservative news show brought to you by Restoration of America. I'm your host, Doug Truax, founder and president of Restoration of America. Today we are blessed once again to have a courageous doctor who refused to buckle to the lies about COVID told by the medical, pharmaceutical, and media establishments in America. Dr. Paul Merrick is one of the top doctors in the world, particularly when it comes to ICU treatment. He figured out early on that the way we were treating COVID patients was all wrong and he hasn't stopped telling the truth since. Well, welcome to the show, Dr. Merrick. Thank you, it's a pleasure to be here. All right, great. Well, so before we get into your COVID story, we would like for you to give our audience an overview of your distinguished career before the pandemic hit. <laughs> yes, very distinguished, yes. So um, I did my medical school training in South Africa I then did a residency and uh, did some critical care training. I then did a critical care fellowship in London, Ontario, Canada. And then after that, I came to the US and uh, I was uh, in academic medicine for close to 30 years at teaching hospitals. And um, that's what I was doing till the pandemic arrived. Um, Unfortunately, you know, due to circumstances which we can talk about, um, you know, I, I didn't follow the narrative. I refused to follow the narrative. And basically, that ended my career. Yeah, so let's get so, into the specifics on that. So when, when everything got going and, and, and you saw, you know, how they were recommending uh, that COVID be treated, what, what did you see different that you're like, wait a minute, let's do something, let's do something different that's actually going to work? Yeah, so I mean, it's a good question. So, you know, this started in March of 2020, you know, when um, COVID arrived on the eastern shore and maybe on the west coast. Um, so we were getting ready for it. And at that time, the treatment from the NIH, the CDC, the WH was supportive care. And what supportive care means is essentially no care which is completely absurd. You know, we knew that in New York, the mortality, you know, in the ICU was 80%. So, you know, what disease is there that physicians will say, hey, I'm not gonna treat this, I'm just gonna do nothing. It's an absurdity. So what we did is we put together a treatment protocol for COVID, it, it initially hospitalized patients. And it was based on clinical observations, uh, based on published data, and um, information that we knew. So we put together a treatment protocol, um, which at that time included corticosteroids because we knew there was significant inflammation and included anticoagulation because we knew these patients had clotting problems. And, um, you know, we were ridiculed at that time. People said, you can't use corticosteroids, it's malpractice. You know, six months later down the road, obviously a study came out which um, showed corticosteroids saved people's lives. So, you know, it validated what we were doing. Um, and then our protocol evolved with time. Uh, we then obviously recognized that the goal really is to keep patients out of the hospital. You know, once they get to the hospital, they really, uh, you know, are critically ill. Their, ch their chances of doing, of surviving are not good, they have lots of problems. So we then developed an early outpatient treatment protocol, which really is, is the essence of controlling this pandemic. 
So there are a whole host of drugs. You know, it's not just ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine, but there must be 20 or 30 drugs, medications, nutraceuticals that have actually been shown, scientifically proven, to have a great impact in the early treatment of COVID. Yet to this day, early treatment has been um, ignored by the state agencies, the WHO, the powers that be. The, 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 the mantra of the NIH was, you know, there's no treatment, stay at home until you can't breathe. When you get blue and can't breathe, then go to hospital, which again is completely absurd. You know, there are really effective treatments. And, um, you know, we strongly believe that the way to have controlled this pandemic was early treatment. What that would have done is it would have prevented progression. People go to hospital. It would have prevented spread of the disease. And in fact, the likelihood is it would have eliminated this disease. If there had been widespread uh, use of early medical therapy, we probably would have eliminated this disease and we wouldn't be in the place we are now. And there is epidemiological data to support uh, that uh, that concept. Uh, there's a large province in India called Uttar Pradesh. They did a very broad, wide uh, seek and treat program using ivermectin, and they managed to eliminate um, uh, COVID. So it really was the key to um, solving this problem. But obviously, the powers that be did not, you know, that was not part of their agenda because then um, it would have, you know, made the vaccination protocol or program or incentive null and void. Um, and obviously the goal, their, their goal and their stated goal, and I don't think there's any question of, about this, is that their goal was a vaccine in every arm. Whether it was safe and effective was irrelevant. And they were going to do everything they could to prevent early treatment um, basically to, to validate, to make people scared and to provide what they, you know, the only option people had um, for control of this disease. And we obviously know that that has not happened, you know, despite the lockdowns, the masks, the social distancing and the vaccination, you know, the disease is still uncontrolled. The, yeah. the cases are rising. BA5 is out of control. Right. And if you remember going back, you know, what they said is, you know, we need to vaccinate you. Once we have 70% of people vaccinated, we'll have herd immunity and the disease will go away. And obviously that was completely false. Right, right. Absolutely. So much has been wrong. And I want to go back to something you said a second ago. You're talking about the NIH. Not, not looking at the evidence. So you have like the, the province in India or the state in India, all this data is coming in. You're, you and your team, you're presenting your data. It builds and it builds. But the NIH and the medical establishment is just like don't want to see it. So you, what you're saying, though, to go back to what you said, they had already, no, no matter what, they had bought into the vaccine thing. So they're not even going to look at new data as it comes in. Or is it... 
Is there, a, what's your opinion of the motivation of them at that moment? Do you have one? What, what, what's the deal yeah, with that? Yeah, it was just inconvenient science for them, was inconvenient truth. So um, for multiple reasons, they did not want to look at the data. They, dis, they disparaged the data. They dismissed the data. Firstly, the EUA for all these experimental therapies, including the vaccine, if you look at the FDA rules and regulations, is predicated on the fact there's no effective alternative therapy. And when they sign the EUA, they have to basically say, we, you know, we have an EUA because there's no other alternative therapy. If they accepted hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin, as a reasonable effective therapy it really would have made the EUAs completely null, null and void legally and you know would have stopped this billion dollar industry so they went out of their way to disparage the data ignore the data and indeed you know what they did which is unconscionable uh, especially for hydroxychloroquine, is they designed clinical studies that were designed to fail. Um, I mean, it's an outrageous thing that they would actually expose people to the risk of a study where the study was designed to fail. So what they did with hydroxychloroquine, firstly, is the studies used it in the late hospital phase, and we know it doesn't work at that time. The virus has stopped replicating. It works in the early phase. And then what they did is they used a toxic dose. So the normal dose is 200 to 400 milligrams a day. They used a dose of 2,800 milligrams. And unlike ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine has a much narrower therapeutic index. So what actually happened, they actually killed patients because they used such a high toxic dose. And then obviously they say, see, it doesn't work. But, um, that's scientific misconduct. It's actually immoral, illegal. And as I understand, you know, part of the study was done in Brazil and the attorney general in Brazil, I think, is going to uh, is lay charges against these scientists for manslaughter because the study actually killed people, but they did it intentionally. Unbelievable. So I've always been trying to figure this out. So you have decision makers at NIH. Uh, are they, you know, are they being are they being paid off by pharmaceutical companies? I'm trying to figure out how how why is that happening that way? Uh, it, I, I'm not coming up with anything else. And and then I guess well the only thing I might add in there potentially is governmental hubris. Uh, you know we can we can solve any problem now here at the government. So we're going to come up with forget about the easy stuff that's ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine and therapeutics. We're so smart, we're gonna come up with this vaccine and it's all gonna be great. And along the way, the pharmaceutical guys are gonna love us. They're gonna, we're all gonna be in bed together and keep moving it along. I mean, is it something like that in, in your opinion or is there any? Yeah, yeah. so you know what I mean? Unfortunately, COVID has shone a bright light on what's been going in on with this agencies and um, big pharma. Um, so, you know, it's an unfortunate statement that I'm going to say, but it is actually the truth, is the agencies are captured. They, they are controlled by Big Pharma and this pharmaco-industrial complex. The FDA and the CDC and the NIH, 
they do not work for the American population. They do not work for the benefit of Americans. They work for Big Pharma. And there's absolutely no question of doubt about it. Many of them have worked for Big Pharma. There's this revolving door. They're absolutely controlled by Big Pharma. Big Pharma, you know, uh, supports the FDA. And there's no question of doubt. I mean, it's, it's, it's so obvious and clear to anyone who looks that, you know, Big Pharma control the FDA. And you just have to look at the fact that that the FDA was prepared to bury the Pfizer data for 75 years. Right, right. For 75 years. Now, why would you do such a thing unless you want to hide the data? Right. And the FDA were were conspirators in this plot. And, you know, what I discovered, you know, this has been shocking. And it's, it's opened up a whole can of worms that I really was not aware of. Is that, you know, when a scientific journal publishes the data of a study they never given access to the actual data they never see the data the 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 company writes the study they provide the data and the peer reviewers assume the data is correct and obviously often it's not correct the fda has access to the data but they will not make it available and we know now definitively, categorically, and undeniably that the studies that Pfizer did, they cheated. They crooked the data, they misrepresented the data, they manipulated the data. And we know this now from the Freedom of Information Act that the judge said, no, you can't bury this for 75 years. So the data is now coming out. And, you know, and apart from that, there is a whistleblower who worked for Pfizer who's now suing Pfizer, I think, for a trillion dollars, a trillion dollars, because she was involved in the Pfizer uh, study and she was witness to them manipulating the data, um, unblinding the patients, dismissing data, and basically covering up their their, um, side effects complications. So, you know, what, what, what's published in the medical journals is just not true. Um, and just to make it even worse, the, you know, the editor of New England Journal and Lancet, who, you know, they're the most premier journals who, you know, I used to look up in awe as the, the, the pinnacle of science, have publicly admitted that pharmaceutical companies are so powerful and so influential, they're actually forced to publish papers that they otherwise wouldn't publish. Uh, it's a it's a it's a remarkable ad- admission, and obviously they profit from this um, because what they do is they have a relationship with Big Pharma. Big Pharma will buy reprints of the papers at a, at a high cost. So there's a financial incentive for the journals to go along with this scientific misconduct. And you know you look at the Pfizer study. You know we know. I mean, there's no question that it was, they did not publish the truth. You know, we know this from the whistleblower, we know this from the leaked data. For example, um, in the first 90 days after release of the uh, Pfizer vaccine, so this is until uh, February of 2021, Pfizer were aware of over 1,200 deaths 
1,200 deaths and over 40,000 serious adverse events related to the vaccine, directly related to the vaccine. So at that time, the whole program should have been shut down. You were talking about February 21. The data was so overwhelming at that, that time as to the serious adverse events, it should have been shut down. But the data was hidden and the FDA and the CDC just turned a blind eye. Well, let me ask you about the percentages on this, just so I understand, because I'm with you. They should have shut it down. I just saw Dr. Fauci in an interview. He's now talking in a way relative to these adverse effects. It's like, well, we had to make decisions about the bigger, the greater good versus some damage. And I feel like where they're headed here is, well, so many people got the vaccine that there's going to be the, uh, the absolute number of people that have an adverse effect is going to be higher than you might want. But that's that just comes with the territory. So can you talk to that a little bit? I, I totally am with you. They're hiding the adverse effects and the damages of the vaccine. But how does that play out when you have all these people take it and you do have these adverse effects? Well, how do the numbers shake out relative to the people who took it and the amount of folks that have the adverse effect? Yeah, so I, I saw that press release and I was sick to the core because um, the fact that he could so blatantly lie is truly astonishing. So there are multiple sources of data that that indicate the profound effect and the profound toxicity of these vaccines. They're not safe. So firstly, if you look at the VAS data, which is the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System run by you know, the Department of Health and Human Services. So in that database itself, there are something like 20,000 deaths. And if you look at the trend of all the vaccines, you know, in the last 20 years, we're looking at a really low number. Suddenly in 2021, there's a massive spike in the number of deaths and adverse events related to vaccination. Um, uh, you know, there's the yellow card system in, in the UK, and then there's something called Vigi Access, which is run by the WHO, which is the biggest pharmacovigilance database in the world. And they track, you know, multiple medications and vaccinations. So if you look at their database, and this is run by the WHO, they're currently over 20,000 deaths and 4 million, let me say that again, 4 million serious adverse events against the vaccine. Whereas you look at ivermectin in the same database, which has been used for 25 years, in their database, there's so-called 18 deaths and 4,000 adverse events. So the, the absurd paradox is the FDA and NIH and CDC consider ivermectin a dangerous, toxic, horse deworming medicine, which in 25 years is so-called called 18 deaths, which most of those are due to the parasite. Yet the vaccine, which is safe and effective, according to their own data, in 18 months has racked up over 4 million adverse events. So the, the hypocrisy, the lies, the deceit is truly astonishing. So, you know, we do have some data. So, you know, I mean, you know, if you look at all the other vaccines, there's never, first of all, this is not a vaccine. You know, this is an experimental genetic experiment. It's never been used before. 
there's no medical precedent. Um, this is an experimental therapy of which the long-term benefits we just don't know. It's never been used before. Um, so, you, you, the, you know, if you look at the Depa Department of Defense database, the increased risk of complications, which includes strokes, heart attacks, cancer, miscarriages, increased by three to four hundred percent. And this is in the Department of Defense database. So we have multiple sources of data confirming um, that something something is is wrong. And then we have the the life insurance data. So, you know, the life insurance companies, they obviously acutely aware of young people dying unexpectedly. And the most recent study showed there's a 110% increase in the non-COVID deaths of people between the ages of 20 and 60. Um, and this is across the board. So something very irregular is happening. Yeah, it's, so, it's just so, terrible. Yeah, go ahead. You know, if you look at the Pfizer data, the risk of adverse events is probably 2%. But there, there is a study done by an independent polling company that reported 8.6% of people who vaccinated, 86 will have a serious adverse event. And there was a study done in the VA looking at adverse events with Moderna and Pfizer. And again, it was 8%. So that is a enormous number of patients. So if you consider the number of people that are vaccinated, you know, maybe you know, 350 million people. We're talking about over, you know, over 10 to 15 million people who are vaccine injured. Yeah. You know, this is this is a catastrophic and monumental uh, uh, problem we're facing. Yeah, it could be the greatest. It's. I think it's going to be the greatest medical blunder in the history of the world. And I think that that point you made about it not being a vaccine is a good one. That was a marketing problem from the beginning. You start calling this thing a vaccine when it's just a treatment. It's not, you know, the, the, the connotation began in everybody's mind. Well, it's going to get rid of it. It's going to protect me from it, all these things. No, it's going to suppress the symptoms and you're still going to carry it around. But all these things were conspiring, it felt like, to just, like you said, everybody take the shot. You know, uh, the, the pharmaceutical companies don't have any liability anymore. They got control of the data. The medical journals are using data that they've got control of and they're pushing, pushing it out there no matter what. And it just feels like this, you know, and you brought the point about people on the inside of the FDA, NIH, former pharmaceutical people. It is just, it, I think a lot of people need to go to jail. I'm happy to hear about the, the situation in Brazil, but do you think this is where this is gonna land over time, right? More and more is gonna come out. It's like, wait a minute, who said yes to that in spite of this information? And those people are going to be, there's going to be some criminal charges at some point, right? So, yeah, I mean, you know, the data is overwhelming. You know, if you look for it, you can see the data. You know, obviously there's, this is a crime against humanity, something that's never been perpetrated at this level ever. You know, the problem is the people, the stakeholders now are so deeply involved. Um, that they never they never going to admit that they made a mistake right um, i don't think they're ever going to admit it yeah so you know it, it's um it's gonna have to be you know legislators maybe with you know when, when 
the Congress changes towards the end of the year. Maybe people, you know, there are there are some legislators who who know what's going on, mm-hmm. um, who are investigating this, but they're the small minority because, unfortunately, you know, you have to follow the narrative, and um, you know, people like Tony Fauci are not questioned. You know, any alternative point of view is censored. As you know, everything I say gets censored. YouTube takes me down, Facebook takes me down, because although I'm absolutely telling the truth, I'm considered a misinformationist. Um, so a misinformationist, actually, the definition is, is anyone who says anything against the narrative, yeah. safe and effective. If you say anything which questions it, you are misinformationist. And if you think about it, Science is based on people asking questions. Right. It's based on people having an exchange of ideas. It's about having a conversation, like we having a conversation. Right. And we open and we honest and we talk about things. And that's how we progress. But when you silence everyone, I mean, this is truly astonishing, is that science has been decapitated because it's been censored. And only one one um, point of view is disseminated and you know they have spent millions and billions of dollars in advertising the same people that you know did the misinformation related to smoking the safety of smoking and promoting smoking it's these same bad players are the ones that are doing this public relations to you know provide the misinformation about the vaccines yeah it's all about the money, I think, at the end of the day. You know, that's what's, that's what's just going to come down to. The pharmaceutical companies are way too far into everything, and they don't have any liability on this deal. So, yeah, they're going to keep censoring. Yeah. They're going to keep the censoring. worst thing is that, you know, by, by, by the regulations set up by the federal government, they have indemnity. So, that's right. basically, they can do what they want to. They have no recourse, and that's what gives them the freedom I mean, it's truly astonishing. And, you know, when people get the vaccine, they sign a consent form, but it's not truly a true consent form because they're not given the true information. And any consent form should include, you know, what are the options? What are the alternatives to this therapy? And patients are not told about alternatives and they're not they're not told the truth about the adverse events. That's right. That's right. Well, you are a great example for how to be a true professional in the medical profession, which we need way more of. I love having folks like you on because it brings back uh, some faith in the rest of us that are, that are our faith is waning as we've watched all this happen. But uh, I know it's been difficult. Uh, we appreciate your boldness and your willingness to tell the truth and your dedication to what you do. You know, we're going to get the word out as best we can. And uh, I do believe there will come a day where you be truly vindicated and because uh, the truth always does come out. So I appreciate you yeah, telling so, it. Yeah. So I think the bottom line is you can hide the truth for only so long. Right. But the truth will come out and you want to be on the right side of the truth. You want to be on the right side of science and you want to be on the right side of history. And I think these people are have a lot of accountability to, you know, to 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 be responsible for. Because, you know, the, 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 uh, the effect that this has had on society, as we all know, has been catastrophic. 
Yeah. You know, not only the human suffering, but the social isolation, the effect on the economy, the effect on children, the effect on kids has been terrible. Yeah. You know, the, the whole Normal. childhood has been uh, turned upside down. And that should never have happened. That's right. You know, we That's should right. never have closed the schools. We should never have treated kids the way we treated them. Yeah, it's wrong decisions early on, and here we are. So, well, thanks again for all you're doing. Appreciate you coming on the show. We'll get this out far and wide and, and make sure your message gets out there. And appreciate all you've done. Thanks, Dan. Thanks for, thanks for speaking and thanks for what you're doing. It's, 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 it's helpful that you can have a conversation with somebody who is prepared to, you know, understand and listen. It's right. somewhat unique. <laughs> All right. Well, we need, I, we need more of it. We need more people like you for sure. Thanks, doctor. Have a good day. All right. That's our show for today. Thank you so much for tuning in and for supporting conservative media. Don't forget that by working together and staying diligent, we conservatives can bring our country back to true greatness. Until next week, let's all keep praying that God will continue to bless America. First Right, a new kind of news summary without the liberal slam. Every morning, in your inbox, always free. Subscribe by texting First Right to 30161. That's First Right, all caps, one word, to 30161.